This is Get Unstuck Radio, Episode 1. Who is your first hire? People Management with Matt Singer. Welcome to Get Unstuck Radio, the place to brainstorm with you on business and life strategy. To get unstuck with system, automation, and delegation. And also to get clarity for sustainable business and lifestyle. I'm your host, Mukita Panmuk. Let's get unstuck. Thank you for joining us today, Matt Singer. Today, this is the first episode of Team Up with the Expert. So here we have people management expert with us, and I'm looking forward to learn more about team building from him. So tell me more about how you become a human management expert. I, I primarily coach humans, but uh, occasionally not humans. Um, no, so basically my background corporate was uh, for many years, about 10 plus years with big companies like Xerox and IBM and so on. And uh, I learned a lot of big company stuff and stuff that co- big companies do. And uh, then about the last seven years or so, I've uh, been a management coach. So basically what I've done is I've taken a lot of the sort of my knowledge and my learnings from the corporate environment and, and all my development. And I've basically utilized that to, to coach people on how to be effective people managers in the online business community is that so many people start business, but very, very few people actually have any experiencing managing staff, right? So majority of people really start from ground zero or ground, not very much when they're, when, when they're starting to hire people and fire people and manage them and get the most out of them and so on. And basically that's the community that I've wanted to help. Right. So initially when I started out coaching, I was primarily working with people working on big companies, but, you know, the passion and the drive they have is not always like some manage, some mid-level manager in a, in a big company, like often, again, to them, it's just a day job. Whereas when you work with entrepreneurs, when you work with sort of smaller and medium-sized organizations, right, people generally care a lot more. And it, it's much, much, much more enjoyable working with those kind of people and, you know, really making a huge difference, like really see them succeed. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of the clients I work with grow exponentially after I start working with them, right? Because for a lot of people, you know, they have the right product, they, they know how to sell, they, but, but the whole people thing, like there's, there's sort of three natural barriers, right? So when you, when you build a business and you get up to sort of eight, 10 people, that's a barrier that a lot of people bump into. And that's basically, you know, they get to the stage where they're kind of the spider in the middle. So they have these people reporting to them and to do, and they go back and they tell them what to do and they go back and this kind of thing. And, you know, they end up being like so busy that even sort of eight to 10 people managing is, is very difficult. And, you know, the, the business generally gets stuck at that level, right? Then there's another level when you get to roughly 20 to 25 people. It obviously depends on the company and so on, but, but roughly that level where, you know, people have put in managers and, you know, things are going, but often what happens is that um, this is the stage where the business owner is still too much in the business, right? So the business owners is often, they, they haven't let go yet and they haven't, move themselves into a CEO role instead mm-hmm. of a delivery expert, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's another big one at around 50 to 60 staff. And that's usually the level where you're building an organization. It's usually where the, the level between the, the owner of the company and the people in the bottom start becoming so big that if you don't have a strong management team, if you don't have very strong management processes, what you communicate at the top doesn't get to the bottom. 
happens again that hinders growth big time right so that's sort of three of the most natural barriers that i see consistently with clients go through um and yeah those are the thing that those are some of the areas where you can hugely benefit from getting some management support and 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 really going through like it, it's a good mix between mindset like getting the right mindset having the right mindset and then uh, between uh, really having the right management processes right like and, and that's not difficult it's not like if you can learn e-commerce if you can learn seo if you can learn these different things like management doesn't have to be difficult most people that come to me says oh you know i don't like managing people i don't like management and you know the reason is the number one reason never spend much time learning it and just like like if you look at any business model like the first day you start thinking, I'm going to build a business that does X, Y, Z, you know, it's like, whoa, this is complicated. It's difficult. It's all this stuff. And that's how people look at management. But literally for me, like when I've worked with people for a day, two days, uh, you know, when we get through the first month of, uh, of, of them experiencing things, like they totally turn around. They're like, ooh. Actually, now I get this management thing. It's actually good fun because, you know, I get to build a big business. I get people actually do the things I want them to do. They're actually, you know, they're performing. They're actually, it's a pleasure working with them instead of a headache. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's basically what I do. That's a lot of value out there. Like, let me go back a little bit. We have seen that like these days, very easy to start business online, right? And people usually start like at a solo entrepreneur or like what I call them, solopreneur, let's say. And basically they want to make more sales rather than documenting and then start organizing their own organization, which is quite important for a long-term sustainability one. It's a mix. So that depends a little bit on the, on the people. Some people are just focused on sales, but there's definitely also people like an issue a lot of organizations have is that because they don't have consistent processes, what happens mm-hmm. is they do sales, 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 sales. Then they land a big client and then they're like, okay, okay, let's focus everything on taking care of this client. And then they take care of that client for a period of time and they totally forget about sales and marketing. And then, you know, if it's project-based, for example, like two months, three months, four months later, you know, this project finished and suddenly they're like, oh, now we have no clients. And then they go sales, 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 sales. The right thing to do is you always like, even as an entrepreneur, you want to do something on a weekly and on a monthly basis to consistently try and attract leads. Like it doesn't need to be a huge proportion of time, but if you don't have some kind of system that you're using to try and generate additional leads running consistently in a new business, you're really putting yourself in a very difficult situation, right? The people who just started, they might still like, because they are action takers and they just like keep doing that. Of course, cash flow is very important. Then they just focus on that and they forgot that, okay, things are happening. Once you have clients, customer service have to come in. Either you're going to have product service or like service service based business. And then things start have to like have the back end of with more admin tasks, recording, documenting, and then and so on. So it might overwhelm them. What would you suggest to having like three people at least at the first hire or like what is your strategy on that? So when I look at first hires, right? So a very, very important lesson that I've learned myself a few times and, and that a lot of fellow colleagues have learned is that the sort of first five to six hires you make 
are really, really, really important for your business, right? When you think of an organization like a pyramid, the key thing is that, you know, when you make hires in the bottom, while they're at the bottom to start and you're sort of sitting above them, eventually what will happen is your, as your organization grow, some of these people will have to move up. Mm-hmm. And if you hire five, six people who might be half decent at doing the job as an end user or as an end contributor, but they're not ever going to be management material, you mm-hmm. put yourself in a very difficult situation, right? Because mm-hmm. going outside, going externally and hire management people can be fairly expensive, right? Like yeah. if you want to go and hire someone with management experience. And second, and a very, very important point is the risk that it poses to your business. Mm. Like one of the key things is that when you hire from within, you have a very good idea of what you're getting Mm. because you're already working with the, with the person. One of the challenges when you hire externally, like you can do an interview and you can go through all this, but just like with regular recruitment, sometimes it doesn't work out. And if you hire a manager in that doesn't work out, the impact of that is significantly bigger on your business than if it's a in contributor. And I, I've seen businesses, I, I've had at least two clients kind of uh, that come to me after business literally going under because, you know, they've hired in both situations, kind of like senior manager, operations manager type thing, like CEO type role, right? And, you know, they hired someone in and, you know, that person came with a lot of experience. They came with their own ideas. They came with their own ways of thinking and stuff, which is normally great, right? But the thing is, they actually went into a, an existing working machine, came and said, oh, you know, normally I do things this way. Normally I do this. Normally I use these tools. Normally I use these systems. And changing a whole bunch of stuff in the business Ooh. end up not delivering and eventually have to let them go. But what happens is the stuff that used to work really well is now a big mess of new systems and stuff people haven't really adapted to and isn't working for whatever reason. So they took a good system that was great and working. It's now a not good system, not working. And that is really hard work to fix. And that is one of those things that can break companies. Generally for me, when you hire people, there's different types of role you can hire externally. If you go and hire an expert role like a let's say a facebook ads person that's not necessarily so difficult right because they're relatively easy to replace and so on and so forth but if you go and hire management staff that have responsibility over a a bunch of your staff and so on you i'm not saying don't do it i'm saying you need to be significantly more careful when you hire and ideally like if, if it's people you have existing relationships with that you know well, and again, everyone always says that you know people always hire their son and their daughter and their friends and stuff, and and that's a really good reason for that, right? It's not just a nepotism move per se. Sometimes it is, but it's not always. The, the whole point is when you hire someone you already know, again, you have a very good idea of what you're getting. Problem is when you hire someone that you never met or like, you know, someone from the outside, like they can be really good. And I'm not saying they can't, but what I'm saying is the risk of failure is higher than if it's someone that you know really well. Mm. Right. If you mention it this way, you think the very first hire, in my understanding, every position should be replaceable. Correct me if I'm wrong. So... 
the very first one, of course, it has to be more flexible than others. However, we have to build them to be who we want them to be for the future pace. So generally what I aim for in, in a business when, I, when I'm hiring initially is I'm looking a ton more for people with great attitude. Well, I always do this, but attitude, mentality, and so on is much more important than any skills. Like there's some areas where skills is important. If you're talking like, you know, I need a web developer, you need someone who can actually do it. You don't want them spending three years on your pay slip learning how to develop, right? Or if you need like a lawyer, you know, they need to have a law degree. But what you really want to do initially is you want to bring people into the business with a great mindset, a great mentality, but like ideally with growth potential, right? Mm -hmm. Like personally, I love hiring people that are great, but that others overlook. Mm. And some examples could often be people who have no particular education, right? Like the thing is a lot of people who haven't got a great education often end up bumping their head against the wall applying for jobs. Yeah. But the reality yeah. is there can be some really good people who have had very difficult circumstances growing up where they maybe couldn't afford college or whatever. Um, and I've very successfully in all my business, I've worked with people like that. Uh, and, and the benefit is originally when you hire them initially, they're often cheaper, but I see it as they have more, they have more potential potentially, right? Because most of those people, first of all, if they do get an opportunity, they one, they're more likely to take it and two, they're more likely to stick around, right? Because, you know, if you've never had a, a breakthrough opportunity in your life and someone comes along and hand it to you, you're often a lot more thankful for that. Right? Yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that I would only hire people like that, but really in the beginning, because also in the beginning, there's so much different stuff. Like you don't hire one person just to do one role. Like in a small company with one, two, three, four staff, like people do a whole bunch of stuff. So you're really looking for people who are willing to learn, who are willing to go and figure out stuff uh, instead of someone who says, oh, well, you hired me for customer service. This is not part of my job role type thing. Never hire those, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like you're looking for people who are flexible, who are willing to learn, who are willing to grow. Who... And the thing is, like I've, like in my outsourcing business, we have 130-ish people now. And, you know, I, I'd say three of the best people that have come through is, is, is people that, you know, have started out uh, like literally with no education, very, very young. I mean, one guy at 18, one guy at 19. And, you know, they're, they've grown within the company and, you know, they've managed a lot of people and, you know, they, they become the DNA of the company, right? Sure, they have a lot of stuff to learn, but if you hire more experienced people as well, like they still have stuff to learn. And particularly when it comes to management, um, you, you still need to train people. I mean, if someone has five years customer service experience or straight out of school, if you put any of those into a management role, you'll generally have to teach them a lot of stuff anyway, right? Different benefits and disadvantages, but that's uh, personally when I'm starting up a business, unless I'm looking for like very quick growth, right? Like sometimes you might start a business, like some, some business like, uh, you know, Facebook and Google, at some point they hit growth levels where, you know, they're hiring people like, I was about to say every second, that might not be the case, but they are hiring people so frequently that if they had to grow staff from within, you know, people would go promoted once a week kind of thing. And that doesn't, that, that isn't very effective, right? 
but successful businesses, you know, start out and they sort of slowly grow in terms of, you know, the amount of customers they can find. And, you know, that every, everything grows step by step. It's not like, you know, you, you grow from zero to a hundred clients in two days or something like most grow step by step. And, and I've always found it beneficial having people that grows with the company and who develops with the company. Yeah, I think that's very yeah. makes sense. In that sense, it should be the main management positions that are like seeing the growth potential within them and also outsource the rest that not necessary to be the permanent position, isn't it? That's what you are saying. Right. So, yeah. So a couple of comments to that. So but when I say that, like when I think of potential, now potential can be anywhere, right? But But a lot of the time I see people hire, you know, Again, hiring someone with 10 years customer service experience. And there's a lot of people out there that are happy just coming into a job, you know, taking off the boxes, going home. They don't have ambitions. They don't want to do anything else. And, and that is totally okay. I'm not saying those people are wrong, but I'm saying very frequently, those people aren't interested in learning more. They aren't interested in developing and stuff. Their habits and, uh, sorry, their hobbies and the things they enjoy is generally often not in the workplace. And that's totally okay but they're often not the first people you want to get into a business because, you know, the growth potential might not be as big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then, they didn't grow with you. They just work for you. Yeah. I mean, and we, we tend to call them foot soldiers, right? But it's uh-huh. grow up consistently, you know, people who deliver us in the role they are, but, you know, they don't have any ambition. And, and ambition doesn't have to be upwards, but uh, ambition of personal growth, right? Uh, 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 Fair number of people you'll find in the workforce don't have that. And again, it's totally okay. Yes, again, if you, have, if you have a large company, like not everyone gets promoted all the time. So you need people that are satisfied, satisfied not getting promoted every so often, right? They're still good people, but primarily from my point of view, the sort of five, six people you hire initially, I really like to have three, four, maybe even five people within that group that you know I really see long-term potential in. What about when you should start have the first hire? The right answer is... Drum roll. When you're hiring, right? The, the first thing, the, the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs is when they're not making enough money, mm-hmm. right? So the, the mental impact to people when you're struggling to pay your bills, when you don't know how, the, how you have to eat every day and stuff, that mental impact is very... It can both be somewhat motivating, but it is also very, very distracting. Yeah. So generally, my recommendation is don't hire the first person before you can afford to do it without putting yourself in a very difficult situation. Okay. So you generally need to be making consistently enough money to hire someone else that you still have a sizable amount of money that makes you comfortable enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally great if you're an entrepreneur and says, you know, I want to live in a small apartment and, you know, I want to not eat the most expensive food for the first couple of years because I want to grow the business. That's totally okay. Uh, if you put yourself in a situation where you can't afford an apartment, that means that so much of your brain power goes into how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? I can't do this. So much of your brain power end up going into things that are very non-productive that it really takes away, right? So generally, and, and I'm just like any rules and, and suggestions, there's always exceptions, but generally 
I, I suggest that you have the money to pay them first and be somewhat comfortable uh, before you go ahead and make that first hire. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Because like, well, if you couldn't survive yourself, how can you like, exactly. and there's a few things that are worth thinking about. So the yeah. first one that I, that I think a lot of people go a bit wrong with is they haven't yet found a great product market fit. Oh, so a lot of people is trying to provide a service or, you know, but they haven't found their, their niche yet. And a lot of the time, until you have found that niche, there's often a lot of change happening, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're still very unclear who your core audience is, who your ideal customers and stuff like that, it can often make sense to wait a little bit making those hires until you get to that stage. Now, that doesn't always work, but like... You know, I see people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm a web developer. You know, I they start out as a freelancer and suddenly they're like, oh, yeah, I want to hire another web developer so I can do more jobs and I can do more stuff and so on. And and that that can work. But like typically one of the challenges in, in like web development to take a, a specific example is the fact that, you know, every time you deliver someone's project, you need to go do sales and find new ones. So for some web developers, they've, millions of work coming in, but that's rare. Most people have to continuously go and look for it. And the problem again is if you go and hire some developer and you haven't got a consistent process to make money, again, that can be a little bit difficult, right? Um, and I think, I think like when you have that clear understanding of who is my ideal audience, so instead of just saying, you know, I'm a web developer, when you can say, you know, we build websites for dentists or, you know, I help, I don't know, lawyers, you know, get a, an amazing web presence until you get to stage where you have found a niche, where you have a relatively easy way to find leads until you've found a niche that you feel good with. Um, sometimes you want to keep looking for that niche before you start hiring too much. It doesn't necessarily need to be the first person, but you know, you don't want to start hiring a ton of people before you have a very clear scope of, you know, who's this for, who's my target audience and all that good stuff. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, it's the stage of entrepreneurship, right? That you have to go and then like from the startup and then like get things settled within yourself a little bit before you delete, automate and delegate, let's say. So let's put it this way. What is the first position to be hired? Depends on the company and oh. depends on what on the individual mm -hmm. right? the thing is as people we all come to to a business with strength some people start a web development business because they're web developer some people start a web development business because they have a ton of contacts that's relevant to it but really they're a salesperson mm -hmm. now if you come in with great sales skill and you are great at selling web development your first hire might be a web developer if you're yeah. a great web developer but you're really sucks at sales your first hire might be a sales guy mm. right uh, depending on the business model and so on it, it's really difficult there's not a first hire right generally what you want to do is you want to look at your strengths and weaknesses and really see is there anything that i'm really bad at that brings our company down mm. right because fundamentally you know again if you suck at sales i'm not saying hire a sales guy but you definitely need to look at how are you 
gonna get consistent leads? How are you gonna get and be able to close consistently to going forward? Now, a lot of business owners over time, I'm not saying they become great at sales, but they learn to do it to some level uh, just because they have to, right? Like when you're yourself, you have to, if you want money in the bank, you know, you have to get someone to pay you. And, you know, they, a lot of business owners get a, a somewhat decent handle on sales, right? There really isn't a clear recipe for hire this person first. The one thing I, I generally say is uh, either hire something that's really a weakness for your company that's desperately needed or look at your own workload and seeing, you know, where is most of your time going? Now, if you are trying to build a company and let's say you have a varied skill set, you are trying to build a web dev company as an example and, you know, 60% of your time go into actually fulfilling web dev work for clients. If that's the majority of your workload, you really want to consider, does it make sense for me to hire a web dev to do 50% of that 60% or like do a, a big chunk of that 60% so that I have more time to do business development so that I have more time to build right relationships to do what whatever other business stuff there is. And that is often the case, right? Yeah, that's very important. Yeah, I can see now. So let me put it this way. For the company that's, of course, at some point, since they start from the service-based business, they're going to convert that to product, right? Is there any difference from these two business space between service-based and product-based of like going from one-man show to have a... There is, but the thing is, it's as much about your skill set as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? And like the reality is like I've, I've worked with one-man bands, like I've worked with entrepreneurs that are making over a million dollars in profit from, for example, running an Amazon e-commerce store. And, you know, that's something that something like Amazon enables, but there's various models where, where as a one-man band, you can actually do that, right? Now, some people are happy with that. Like some people aren't looking to, you know, build the world's biggest company and that's totally okay. But you, there's so big difference nowadays between company, between business models that it, it's so, so difficult to talk about, like even within e-commerce uh, or even within, you know, the service business, that there's so big differences between how they sell, how big the margins are, you know, how easy it is for them to get clients and, you know, their existing relationship and networks. And that there's so many differences that just, it is a very individual thing generally. Let's go back to another issue that I also see many companies having to build a company culture. Yeah, you can definitely influence it and you can definitely impact it. But really your company culture, again, is very, very dependent on the first four, five, six people you bring into the company. Because really, those first hires you make, your company culture becomes really part of, like, let's say you go out and hire a bunch of people who super value freedom, they all value working from home, like, that's why they want to work there. That very quickly becomes a company value, right? A lot of people think that the company's value comes from the owner, but they don't necessarily, or not entirely, right? Like, definitely the owner influences it to a large extent, and, and, you know, the more the more keen they are on, on getting other people doing things the way they do them, the more they influence it. But, but fundamentally, company values, until I start getting to five, six people, I start looking at those people and I say, you know, 
what is the value of the team right now? Like, again, I put a lot of effort into getting the first great people. And then I see like, you know, what is the value of this business we've built? Like we have five, six people, we're running a business, we're making a decent amount of money now. What is the culture of us? What have we built here, right? Um, and that, uh, to some people that might seem a bit backwards, but but personally, at least that's what I've seen to make the most sense. Because like I know people who sit down before they hire anyone and say, you know, what's my values, what's my culture, and I want people to match that. And, and I'm not saying that's the wrong attitude, but I'm saying, in the beginning, like, I don't want to just build an extension of myself. I don't want to hire people who are just like myself. Like you need a diverse skill set, And very often that means diverse personalities. That means, you know, certain culture sets. Now there's obviously some things that you can be very strict on to build a good culture on things like discipline with showing up, discipline with delivering on deadlines, discipline with, with various aspects. And you definitely want to influence those things, right? And you definitely want to make sure that people don't just take a week off if they feel lazy or whatever. Like that's not a great culture. Uh, or people phoning in twice a week. Oh, I'm sick today kind of thing. Like you don't want to build that culture. So there's definitely things you can and want to influence in terms of discipline and in terms of what's expected. But like for me, I'm much more focused personally on delivery of, of goals and of targets than I am necessarily on when it happens, right? So like I, I've, work with a lot of stuff and you know i don't if they like working in the morning or in the afternoon or you know whenever they feel they get the best work done like i'm I'm really okay with that that as long as they deliver their goals as long as they deliver what's needed and they show up on the relevant calls and you know they're in the relevant meetings it doesn't matter a whole lot to me now some people are very different than that generally like the culture and the companies i build tend to get a little bit like that because that is my mindset as a founder and Again, it's not right or wrong. I'm not telling other people to do it like that or don't do it like that. But that's where you need to look within yourself and see, you know, what, what is my cultural aspects. So this could relate to vision, value, and mission in the business, right? Each one that yeah. you created. Yeah. How many times, I mean, how often you should like re-evaluate these three cores of the business, in your opinion? In principle, again, I don't start looking at them before I get to a certain level. Mm-hmm. Like, sitting saying, oh, I want to be a web designer. You know, I have to build mission, vision, values, and I need to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You're, you're shooting over. Like, mm-hmm. my first goal is to figure out something that works, figure out a service, a business, a product, something. Mm-hmm. You know, where I'm finding an audience that fit. And, and reality is from day one, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Reality is what have most successful businesses starts out doing something and either they, you know, target the wrong audience, you know, suddenly they realize, oh, actually our product here is, is good. But if we sell it to that audience over there, you know, they'll pay three times the amount of money for that product because to them, it's not just good, it's extremely valuable, right? Or it could be things like, you know, you start a web development company and say, you know, I'm, I'm a gardener, I want to help gardeners, but you realize they have no money and they can't pay you decent money. So you're like, okay, well, maybe there's different people I need to target. So the problem is if you start doing all that stuff up front, you're often just digging yourself into a bigger hole, right? So I I generally recommend like build a business, uh, most cases get some staff on board, you know, like build a sustainable business and uh, build, uh, not a sustainable, that's probably the wrong one, but build a business where, you know, you've found your clients, you've found your ideas and so on. 
and then start looking a little bit more at, at, about documenting all these mission, vision, values, right? Mm -hmm. because, like you can still have very good visions. You can still like when you're on a sales call with people, you can still like, you know, we want to help, you know, small business people make a difference in their community. And like, you can still have all these great visions and you can talk about them. But I'm just saying like writing down, going through that entire process, it, that can be a very long process. It's a good process, but you want to make sure you do it at the right time when you actually know what you have, because most entrepreneurs in the beginning for, and, and sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes three, but, but in the beginning, often people, people don't even know what they have. They don't know what they're building, but you know, they kind of take it along the way. They get some customers in one area and they say, oh, by the way, this is a great niche, right? Like let's go, let's focus the entire company on this one thing instead of all these 20 other things we used to, right? Uh, and that happens consistently. And yeah, that's basically my recommendation around that. Yeah, I mean, I'm 100% agree. I mean, this is like very important conversation because like people might think reversely or something like that. So when they talk about when they start a business and they think about the business goal at the very first one, that goal should be the first cash flow goal and revenue goal, isn't it? Or what actually it is. Yeah. It doesn't always need to be money focused, but when you're starting a new business, like it could be a goal, like, you know, find p three people who are willing to pay for X or it could be uh, X amount of money, but, but you want to set a goal. That's, that's not necessarily sustainability, but mm. you know, you want to set a goal to try and validate your idea. Like what a lot of entrepreneurs does is that they end up spending a year, two years trying to build something, trying to do something like, you know, build a website or build an app or build something without validating the idea, like without validating people want to pay money for this thing, right? And uh, the, the first thing first for me is always like, you want to go find people that says, you know, I will pay you money for this bit product or this service or this whatever, right? Uh, and get some people to pay you, like do it. So right now, let's talk about what you do. I have seen that you have many businesses. So tell me more about like how you organize this thing and then like where you want to be somehow. I have some, a couple of different businesses. So the most fun one and where most of my time goes is management coaching, right? That's what I love doing. When you work with entrepreneurs, it doesn't pay so good, but uh, honestly, that's not really my core focus, right? I have a large outsourcing business where we have about 130 plus people. And really we specialize in finding and, and helping people sort of manage the personal side of of particularly Filipino workforce, and uh, mm. yeah, that's that's going really well. Um, we have a lot of clients that are looking to outsource. We have a lot of there's a lot of people who really need help with it because, again, just as I said, the first times you hire people, it often doesn't go really well, or you might not make the best choices and stuff. And for a lot of people, having a having a company helping them hiring people initially can can be very beneficial. I still very much recommend that people still do their own interviews with the people, with the staff and so on. But again, if you get a huge group of people that you pick yourself and you know, one out of 10 might be great. If you have someone doing it for you where they have a smaller pool of candidates, but with the chance of success is you know, six out of 10 or eight out of 10, that's a lot better than one out of 10, right? So the likelihood that you make a good hire is significantly better in that case. We have a company that does a bunch of SEO, but uh, yeah. The one that you said you have outsourcing business, that one you have it as marketplace or as a consulting for outsourcing? Basically a outsourcing company where we specifically 
hire the staff and you know basically what happens if people rent full-time people so we only do full-time staff basically people come to us like a lot of companies come to us and you know they're like oh well you know i run this e-commerce business in the u.s you know i need people for customer support or like right now i have one person but you know they're really busy and the thing is the cost of one person in the u.s can often be 24 7 coverage right uh, in the philippines so like we have a lot of e-commerce businesses as an example that you know they start doing a live chat they start doing these things and really see big benefits from conversions and so on by by having it manned much more frequently you get a lot more capacity and so on right so so that's a that's sort of typical example of some of our customers mm, right okay do you have anything to tell the startup entrepreneur right now like where they should like keep going or something or let's say what would be the main struggling that they have to face before they are ready to hire if i take a step back right so majority of entrepreneurs fail majority of businesses fail and it's a fair mix of not having a good product market fit and giving up, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very famous saying that it takes you three years or the sort of thousand day rule. Like if you want to build a business, it will take you a thousand days to get it to a decent platform. And a lot of people don't expect that they have to live off very, very little money for three years to build a successful business. And that kill a lot of businesses, right? Like realistically, expectation majority of people you know people like you tell them it will take a long time it's hard work and you know they see all these sometimes success stories sometimes fake success stories of like oh you know like it was friday morning i opened my laptop and you know from day one i made two thousand dollars a month or whatever right like you see a lot of that crap around but but reality is for most business owners particularly first time like if you have a successful established business already you might be able to cut some time off starting a second business or you know starting a new business but if it's your first time and you haven't had a successful business in the past the likelihood that you're going to start a business find a better idea start that business and just jump around is so so big right and and um yeah it's generally called shining optic syndrome but you know you're constantly looking at everyone else like, wow, that's a great idea. Wow, that's a great idea. Wow, I want to do that. I want to do that. And, and wait, reality is you can start pretty much any business and make money. Like I could start a business today selling water bottles and I could make a lot of money from it, right? The whole point is there's not, a, there's not right or wrong businesses. There just isn't, right? Um, obviously some business might require more capital or more initial investment and so on that might make them unfeasible for some people, but, but that's not right or wrong businesses. It's about figuring out business that works for you. And generally, as I said, it takes time, right? Like it's, it's really this process of figuring out, you know, what's my niche, what's my audience. And most people that are successful, as I said earlier, they start out doing like web dev, they start out doing something and they often bump into a niche. They bump into a certain kind of clients, they bump into something and they're like, whoa, this is really great, right? Uh, and that's when like you see their growth is kind of like bit by bit by bit. And then 
suddenly it just takes off. And that is usually when that happens. It's usually when they find the niche, get clear on it, and uh, build a good system around it. So be patient and consistent. Yeah, patient, consistent, determination is, is key for success in, in this world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much. This is like tons of value. I'm going to like, this is like, I'm very grateful that you are here and they're like joining me today and sharing your um, knowledge to our community. It's a pleasure having you here. I, I love helping whenever I can. So. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Unstuck Radio. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe so you automatically get new show every week. I would love to if you left us the review. If you want to get unstuck, check my five-step entrepreneur freedom formula for scaling your business without sacrificing your lifestyle at worldwideweb.extraordinarilybymutita.com forward slash freedom. Speak then.